Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Fun, fun show on today's program. Wednesday, November 29th, 2023 edition here on the program. We've got... Round Ball Ramble and Swish Theory Zone, Corbin Ford, uh, to talk all things NBA, talk about the Warriors, their tough uh, start to the season, uh, guys in and out of the lineup, what Clay's next contract looks like, what's going on with Clay and Wiggins, um, kind of the fallout of Kevin Durant not re-signing with the Warriors years ago and what they would look like now if Durant never left and what Durant's career looks like if he never leaves, um, Golden State and all that good stuff. We also talk about uh, LaMelo Ball. Uh, we talk about the Lakers' problems with their roster. Um, we also talk about what makes the Magic fun, who are on a nice little win streak in the top four in the East. So the Orlando Magic, a lot of fun out of the gate here at 12-5 and five as of this recording. So that uh, that was a fun conversation all, all the time with uh, Corbin Ford, one of my favorites each and every week on this very show. We've also got on the four-check zone, Brian Baston and uh, Flames Nation's Jeff Middleton, as we do each and every week to talk all things Preds in our Preds Power Hour segment on this very show. We talk about the Preds and their awesome win last night uh, over the Pens in overtime with Philip Forsberg with the the late goal um, to stun Pittsburgh there. And now, the don't look now, but the Preds are over 500 which is cool, 11-10 and 10 early on in this young NHL season. We talk about that win streak, UC Soros heating up a little bit. Uh, the aforementioned Philip Forsberg having a really, really strong start to the season. And then old friend John Hines getting hired by the Minnesota Wild and what to make of that. So jam-packed Wednesday show for you guys today. So appreciate you tuning in. And if you are a first-time listener of this daily national sports show outside here in Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, First, thanks for checking out the program, and if you like what you hear today, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player so that you never miss an episode each and every day here on 
this show. And if you already are a listener, you know what I'm about to say. If you haven't already done so, hit that pause button right now and leave this show a five-star rating and a review, write a review, that is, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. So if you could do that today, I would greatly appreciate it. Helps other people find the show and all that good stuff. So let's make it a little bit bigger each and every day with your help. So take care of that today. I greatly appreciate it. You can also check out our homepage, chasemuspodcast.com, all kinds of great stuff on the website. So check that out there. Newsletter each and every day, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Sportsrenaissanceman, that's me. Uh, type in your email, become a subscriber today. Of course, if you want to get in touch with the show, NBA questions, Preds questions for uh, myself and my awesome co-hosts each and every day, email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ over there in Denver, Colorado. Swish Theory, Round Ball, Ramble, Basketball Intelligence Zone. Corbin Ford. Corbin, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. I'm doing well. Um, I should be out there in Tennessee at the end of the month. Very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm doing good. Ready to talk some basketball as always. Happy to link up with you. Uh, always good. Oh, basketball with Chase. One of the highlights of the week, honestly. Look, it's one of the highlights of my week to be able to talk about basketball with you, my friend. And we had the holidays last week, so I was traveling. And last week is a weird week. I, it's just weird for me when I don't like I do. A, uh, I don't know if people know this or not, but I do a lot of podcasts every week and I, I, I do a lot of stuff when I have to take breaks, Corbin, it's so strange when I'm traveling, when I'm away and I love spending time with my loved ones and all that stuff. But it is weird. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I just I kind of I, I get I get in a funk. Where I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to not create content like for days at a time. Like it, it, it feels unsettling. I don't know if you're like that at all. Yeah, you know it's funny. I'm at the opposite end where I've like taken so long, like in between, like being when you're consistent, it's hard to get off because you mm. are. It's a routine, and then when you fall off, you fall off, and then it's like rum rum, like starting a car that's been <laughs> sitting for so long. You know, rum, 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 rum. like it's trying to rev it up to get it going, and I feel like. I've been doing podcasts semi-regularly between, you know, the one we, um, roster construction for Swish mm. and some team podcasts, but like Round Ball Ramble, I have to be more consistent on and I keep going, today's the day. And then something comes up and it's rah, 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 like that starts. So I'm with you um, on the other end. I'm hoping to get more to your end of just the sheer, you are so consistent. And so I don't know where you get it from. We've talked about it before off air, but yeah, you're on a different level, man. The grind is the grind. You build different there. Hey, uh, we're all built different. And, uh you you'll get there man uh, you, you've got it and uh like i i don't worry about corbin ford on this program Appreciate i don't you, worry friend. about him uh corbin something i am worried about buy or sell the warriors are going to write the ship and push back towards the top of the conference or are you pretty worried about where clay and wiggins and company are at and you think that they're gonna be a planning team and that they're real problems for this warriors team the rest of the way you know, it's funny you say that because, like, right now the Warriors are just molly whopping the Kings, like, mm. as we record. Um, and they have been for most of the evening. And so everything's right in Golden State. But no, 
I would have been worried. I think in some ways there's some reason for optimism. Chris Paul's has been a great fit with Golden State, which you thought would kind of be weird, and it hasn't been super weird. It's weird to see him play on that team, but, like, the fit has been good. The bench has actually mm-hmm. been really solid, you know? Like, the bench minutes, you usually can tell the Warriors team by, like, even when they're a championship team, like, where they are when Steph Curry's on the floor as to where they are when he sits, right? And the point differential, plus, minus, all of that. But, like, it's been remarkably sturdy, right? The biggest problem has been, you know, the play of both Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins. And I am still worried about those two. I think in this game, both are playing well. Bounce back game for both. Good to see. Um, Clay has 20, which will be the first time I think this season will score 20 points. And mm. Wiggins is 22, which also I think is the first time this season. I think Wiggins might have scored. No, Wiggins, I think, eclipsed the 20-point mark in a game against Oklahoma City, I think, last week or the mm. week before. One of those. But the point being, it'll be first for Clay or the second f- Either way, bottom line, we're what 70 games in the season. Like yeah. that's not great. So happy to see that happen for both of them. Really good to see. Um, obviously, if Clay and Wiggins are playing well, Draymond Green brings what he brings. Steph Curry's been amazing all season, and then of course, you know, Chris Paul do it solid. Chris Paul things that'll be great. But mm. like, uh, it has been a, a reason for concern. I don't think that that is that is um that that's an actual thing. You know. Um, oh, also, by the way, uh, apparently Chris Paul left today with, uh, injury, a lower left leg soreness. It's not good. So that's the thing, but anyways, going back, not great, but going back to the Warriors, I think it's one of those things where, you know, um, if Clay and Wiggins are solid, then that's, I'm not too worried about the Warriors. They're right up there in that brush line. I'm a little more worried about Clay than Wiggins because, you know, Clay's had some traumatic leg injuries the last couple of years, and he is 33, and, like, age does catch up. Like, yes, he's not going to be a player. I think he will age well, but that does mean, like, a transition from, like, a go-to player or a consistent player to, like, maybe more of a role player. You know, and maybe, I'm not saying this is happening for Clay, but that transition could happen earlier because of the injuries that he's had. You know what I mean? Like, he's already slower defensively, you know, never really had a whole lot off the dribble juice and his movement is great offensively, but if the shot's not going, it's hard for him to create his own shot and defensively he can't stay with smaller guards like he used to. Now you slide him up to like small forward, but you mm. have Wiggins there and you got Draymond. So, and you still got Looney. So it was just kind of different there. And I do worry about Wig- like Clay's long-term fit, especially with him up for a contract coming up at the end of the year and what that looks like for Golden State and himself and all of the things there. Um, Wiggins, I think he just kind of came in out of shape. You know, I don't think he's he's a solid role player. Like he's not someone I'm expecting like consistent, you know, 23 points per game, like early Minnesota. But he's somebody who, you know, definitely can improve. And I think as he rounds himself into shape, he's had a rough year and a half. I think some undisclosed stuff that's come out. Um, I think he'll be better. I mean, he can be worse than based on how he started out of the gate here. Uh, right. And Wiggins, I just you worry more like he's a playoff guy. I feel like he'll be fine. He'll round out. I'm not really worried about Wiggins as much as I'm worried about um Clay Thompson. And you saw the report from Kendra Andrews today about the contract negotiations with the Warriors weighing on Clay Thompson. Quote, he appears to be noticeably more frustrated during games. He sometimes sits on the end of the bench by himself during timeouts or slaps his head after taking a bad shot. Um I don't know what you do about that. Like I don't know what kind of contract makes sense like you talked about just him being 33 coming off the injuries like the old clay thompson's gone right like the him being a just a a big time running mate with steph curry for the majority of a season and a deep playoff run those days are probably over and it's probably like we're not at the miami heat ray allen (laughs) version of clay thompson but 
we are inching away from like the Richard Lewis Ray and uh, Ray Allen Sonics years uh, are not happening anymore with Clay Thompson. Those days are gone. So what do you do? What's the right offer? How do you make sure you don't piss them off with a certain kind of offer? How do you find the right uh, equilibrium in what Clay Thompson's worth and what you can do and still contend? Because the goal is still like the elephant in the room is still Steph is a top three NBA player. And Steph is still right there. Uh, if he plays a full season in the MVP conversation, Steph's still Steph. You have to maximize this window because it's going to end sooner rather than later with uh, with Steph. And you have to make hard choices. And you know, it's funny. I was thinking about when I watched the Warriors this year is like, remember how much we gave the Warriors like just crap about, oh, they don't, they, they just, they didn't need Kevin Durant, right? Like they won titles. They didn't need to add him into this nucleus. They could keep winning. And it was just a surplus. That was Raymond speaking, but yeah, I remember. Yeah. They needed Kevin Durant. And I think Kevin Durant actually needed the Warriors. Like whatever he just never leaves. And we don't have these last few years of, Brooklyn, Kevin Durant, and now in Phoenix, where like he just makes life easier for Clay in this drop off, makes life easier for Draymond as he gets older. Like we talk about it, like this was the peak of all of them together was unfair in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But age happens quickly, father time comes quickly. And if Kevin Durant had stayed and had just continued on with the Warriors, like I don't know how many more titles we would have been looking at, but I just have been thinking about that with this team aging and where they're at where you would still have two lead top five players in the league and Durant and Steph and there's just so much less pressure on uh Clay and Draymond uh to keep fighting father time to keep coming back from injuries and to keep this thin roster afloat because guess what they're thin anyway like they they're they're thin all across the board and they're thin without that other guy to make life easier for Steph as they all get a little bit older. So I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot over the last couple of weeks with, with Katie and maybe that was a marriage where like, I wonder if he looks back and is like, I should just stay with the Warriors and just rode that out. I think that's something to think about for sure. I definitely think it's possible, you know, that that's a, that that's a thing for both of them. Cause it did lighten their load, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, they're both on semi contending to contending teams even now. So imagine what they had if they were all together. You know mm. what I mean? And they both would have mitigated better the injuries that they suffered throughout the year. Steph Curry being out most of 2020, Durant being out most of 2020 and 2021. You know what I mean? Actually, those years yeah. would be rough. But still, like outside of that, who knows? You know what I mean? You would never have seen the two timelines that Golden State and going with. You wouldn't have seen the dysfunction in Brooklyn, you know, the scary hours. Like, mm-hmm. it would have been interesting. It was one of those basketball what-ifs that are definitely something to look back on and be like, hmm, like how would that have worked? But at the same time, like, I think it was a marriage of convenience. You know, it worked out for both parties. Kevin Durant got his ring. Golden State was able to continue being a dynasty. Um, You could say it worked out after for Golden State. They did win another championship. And Kevin Durant's been on contending teams, you know, and gotten to do his own thing, if you will, even though injuries have been a thing. So, yeah, I wonder about that. But it's going to be interesting to see what the Golden State Warriors do moving forward this offseason. Because you're right. Like, what contract is offered to um, Clay Thompson? I'm curious. Like, right now, I... Sheesh, I'm not even throw out a number. I just don't know if it'd be like a good one. You know what I mean? And Clay Thompson's a very prideful person, which is great. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you are an aging player and your skills are somewhat diminished and your role has to subtly, you know, shift, that can be a hard thing to take. And I think for Clay, it might be a hard thing to take. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. So yeah, I don't know. This offseason will be very important for them. But as it stands right now, you know, knock on wood with the health, but 
I think that if, you know, Andrew Wiggins comes to form, I think Clay Thompson can get a little bit back to what he normally is. I don't think he'll go such a regression to the mean he's going to go blazing hot. But if he can get somewhere in between there, yeah, Golden State's fine. But it's, like, fine in what context, right? Like, do do you see them as a title team? I don't think they're anywhere close. Like, I think the gap between... I mean, the gap between the Nuggets and the Celtics and the rest of the NBA right now seems pretty vast when both are 100% healthy. Porzingis now banged up, so that's something to monitor. And also, uh, Jamal Murray comes back very soon, so that's going to be huge for them. Jokic missing some time, and then we'll see what happens with uh, Aaron Gordon. But, I mean, injuries permitted... Like, I just think they're in these different levels. And I just I just wonder, like, if you're Mike Dunleavy and you're this front office in Golden State or you're Steve Kerr, you're looking around, and you're just like, you're in a tough spot because the ultimate goal should be doing right by Steph Curry. Like, he's your best player of all time. He is first ballot Hall of Famer, won multiple titles. He's the linchpin. He's the guy. You should really go to him and like, what, like, what are you comfortable with? Because I think they're kind of stuck. Like, I don't know what they can really do at this point. They're out of... They're out of chips. I mean, you can maybe say Jonathan Kaminga, but I don't really know what Jonathan Kaminga at this point is bringing you. You made a gigantic whiff on the James Wiseman uh, pick. Like you, the not taking Halliburton looks really bad. Not just taking Lamelo Ball, even with the injuries, which really suck because I really like watching Lamelo Ball play basketball. Um, I don't know. Like they've, there's just been a lot of draft misses. They haven't developed like San Antonio. They tried to do the whole bridge to uh bridge the contention along with building depth and taking guys like Moses Moody, Wiseman, uh Jonathan Kaminga and company and letting them work through it but like none of them have worked out. Like it's actually kind of hard to miss on this many in a row, right? Around so many superstars who make life uh, ostensibly easier for guys like Kaminga and Moody and company to enter the rotation, but that's a lot of misses and it hurts and that's when it, you're feeling it now where I just I don't know what the Warriors can do outside of pray that clay and andrew wiggins and what we've seen tonight against the kings is something uh that's sustainable going forward because outside of that i think they're just kind of stuck and they're not a contender and i don't know how they get out of it i don't know long term how that looks i'm not gonna Mm -hmm. lie to you and pretend i do but then again like they won that 2022 championship i didn't see that happening yeah you know so or yeah 2022 yeah Mm -hmm. so like at the same time like you never know. You know, matchups are a big thing. This Western Conference is different. Who knows how the East goes? And if the Golden State is, like, healthy and rolling, I'm not going to say when they're at their best, they're a championship team. When they're at their best, they're a championship contender. Right? But you're right. Mm-hmm. It is different. Um, Steph Curry will turn 36, you know, uh, before the playoffs start. Like, so, um, Chris Paul will be 38. Yeah. Um, yeah, Chris Paul will be 38. He's not 38 right now, is he? I think he is, right? Um, he'll be 39. My bad. You're right. Yeah. He is. Because um, I, I get him and Kyle Lowry mixed up. Kyle Lowry's 37. Yeah. So, like, that's a thing. You know, Draymond Green has already regressed in a major way offensively. Um, we've seen Klay Thompson. It's been the year from hell for him. So, like, this is a real problem. You're right. Like, long-term sustainability, yeah. What does it look like? Um, the two timelines was a clear failure. You know, mm-hmm. Jonathan Kaminga is a solid player, but in my mind, like an energy hustling role player guy. Moses Moody looks good. Definitely won't see a star there. So it's like, yep. and those are young players. I mean, Brandon Przemski, you know, what you think about him? I think he's a solid player, but I don't see anyone that's like a clear in the wings. Like imagine if the Warriors had just went and drafted LaMelo Ball. Yep. Not only would you have a guy who could play alongside Steph Curry, like Chris Paul can, a guy who can run the second unit, a guy who can, you know, be a clear starter with those guys and take the wings moving forward, like waiting in the wings to move forward with this Warriors team. And even better, and I hate to say this because he just got injured with his lower extremities, but he would have access to Steph Curry's ankle doctor. 
mm. which would probably prevent half of the ankle injuries he's been having. I don't know, but I'm just throwing it out there. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't like, hurt to be around Steph and around Steph's doctors and the really Golden State staff. It really wouldn't. The ball movement, the vibes would be immaculate. Like the things he would learn, like it would be told totally different. Like the draft, James Wiseman. I mean, listen. But we need I, the time I, too, right? Like that's like a revisionist history. Great. No, it looked bad at the moment. It looked bad in the moment, and it, it is bad, right? But like just thinking, like light years ahead, that was that was light years behind. That was to mm. infinity and nowhere. You know, like I don't know. This is one of those things where, yeah, that's a what if as well. But moving forward, yeah, Golden State's future is so uncertain to me because you're right. This is aging dynasty slash like former dynasty that's still trying to compete. And right now, with the way the West is, they are technically still in it. But like. If you were to rank every team at their healthiest and then put Golden State in there, I'd say they're like five or six, not bad, but not like clear contenders. And when you're paying the money that you're paying for this team you put together, that's something you got to consider. I'm going to be very curious if they keep this status quo past the trade deadline this year. I, I wonder if they wait to see what happens in the playoffs and then make some big decisions over the summer. Like if they get they get thrashed by like the Wolves in the first round. And it's like two seven or something in the Wolves with, uh, <laughs> which would be so much fun uh, if we get Rudy Gobert versus Jeremiah Green in a seven game series. But like, if Ant just is the best player in the series and Ant just takes over and they win in five, I wonder what that means for the Warriors this summer and what kind of choices they have to make. Um, I just think it's gonna be tough. It sucks, but this is what happens when you uh, do the two timeline thing and it just does not pay off. And now you're just in a really, really difficult spot in Golden State. But we'll see. Uh, Corbin's corner NBA thought that has fascinated you this week, Corbin. Um, what's up with the Lakers? Oh, that's my thought. Like what's up with the Lakers and what's up with the bulls. And is there a way that they can come together to make both of their themselves happy? Cause the Lakers got embarrassed. Worst loss of LeBron James career, 44 mm. point loss to the 76ers. A lot was going on. And yes, like injuries have been a thing. Rui Hachimura has been out. Gabe Vincent's been out. Um, Twain Prince is myth time. Cam Reddish is myth time. Like Jer- Jared Vanderman hasn't played all year. Like these are actual legitimate things. But at the same time, you have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, you're through a big three. Um, D'Angelo Russell's been shooting the ball really well. And you don't get embarrassed like that. And you had your base, Christian Wood, Jackson Hayes. Like there's something wrong there. The Lakers mm-hmm. historically this season, not historically, but just this season, have not done well in first quarters. Like, They've been hitting the mouth every game. Either they climb back and they make it a game and maybe they win or they just got hit in the mouth and they reel and they spend the rest of the game kind of, you know, stumbling and bumbling around. But something has to happen there. And that's my thoughts. I just don't know what. I'm not saying the Lakers should make a move. I like continuity. I think the Lakers have, like, moved past continuity in favor of big moves like at the Russell Westbrook trade and look at going from that defensive first team in 2020 to adding more offense and Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell in 2021. Like, there's been issues there and i want continuity for the lakers team at the same time hate to say but lebron's playing really well a year 21 age 38 like all these things um this can't be the way that this that this is like this can't be it something has to change are they stuck like Hmm? the warriors or no no because they're in play to make trades like okay. the, like they're in play to make a trade for Zach Levine. They're in play to make a trade for, you know, DeMar DeRozan, anybody on the Bulls. But no, I'm like, I'm sure like if there's a player out there available the Lakers are interested in, they have the contracts to put together. They have just enough draft picks to cobble together that they could make it work. Like yeah, they'll be scrambling around the the bargain basement bin if it's like a massive like four for two trade or something like that, but they have enough assets I think to just cobble a competitive trade you know, at least that you have to consider. Um, mm. But the Warriors are kind of just 
Like they're not who they're not trading Steph, right? Clay got no value. I mean, he doesn't have no value, but he doesn't have value like that. Same with Draymond, same with Wiggins. Like that there's a difference there, you know? Um, and then Chicago, like, come on now. I mean, you have Zach Levine a massive contract, age 29 in his prime, playing like this, you know, and 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 playing in a way that's just not inspiring. It's not been great. He's been a shooting slump, but also he doesn't want to be there. And that's clear. And that's been a factor, right? You have DeMar DeRozan, who is 34, and he's come down to earth. Like, his numbers are okay, but he's definitely playing like a 34-year-old. Um, Patrick Williams has not progressed. Nikola Vucevic wants more of the offense. We don't know why. Like, it's a mess. You know, it's a mess in Chicago. And um, AK in that front office, like, they need to really say, okay, let's try to do a proper rebuild. Because at the idea at the time, of course, in 2021 was building this team and having, you know, um, um, Lonzo Ball, and it worked out when he was healthy. But that dream is gone. To be honest with you, it's been gone for two years now. Mm. Like this roster doesn't—they don't like each other, and maybe I'm not not as a person, but as players, they don't like playing with each other, which is a difference. I, my best friend, I love my best friend. I do not like playing basketball with my best friend. Like he only has eyes to shoot. He shoots pretty decently, but he's just not my kind of guy. Like mm. I hate playing with him, and he's my best friend. He's on my team. I'm like, oh my god. Like, that's just the thing. So I feel like the Bulls are in that energy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they're just underwhelming in every way. They're just underwhelming. But they're not a team with the personnel to be like a Detroit or Mm -hmm. on the bottom bay or Washington. Like, they're there just because they suck. And so I think that they have to make a move too. So that's my thoughts. Like, you have these two teams. I'd say the Lakers are in a much better position than the Bulls are. But, like, two teams that had better, higher expectations than what they've performed up to. And now you're in the situation of, okay, what do you do um, to improve your respective teams? Um, whether that is, in Chicago's case, what I think should happen, which is embrace the rebuild and go from there. Or the Lakers' case, does that mean make a big move? Does that mean hold it down and, you know, plead for continuity and wait till your guys get healthy? I don't know. And then with the Lakers-Bulls talk, is there a chance that there's a trade to help both parties? Like, could the Lakers get Oz Caruso in addition to, you know, uh, uh, Zach Levine? Um, who do they send out in exchange for that? I just think there's a lot of questions, and there's my four-minute spiel on that. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to Yovan Bua, the athletic, uh, two weeks ago about this very thing, Corbin, and he indicated, like, it's it's one of those where it may not be Levine. It's like the maybe DeRozan and Caruso is a package deal. It might be Levine and Caruso. It might be Le- – like, what is the best – like combination of both because it it just feels like they there is a trade to be made there um for all the points that you just uh outlined but like who what combination makes the most sense for where the lakers are at and based on what you've seen from the lakers because i think it's more than one i don't think they can just add caruso and it's like all right we're good we're everything's fine we're gonna make the finals again well, I mean, I don't know. Like, on the one hand, I, I don't think one trade will do it, but I think that if you clear a massive hole, like LeBron's been playing well. AD's mm-hmm. been up and down, but you're not trading AD. I mean, I honestly, unpopular opinion, just saying. I, I wouldn't be against it, but you're not doing it. Like, No, that's you're writing not, it out. Like, LeBron and AD, when they're they're a package deal and it's over when both of them, when LeBron exactly. retires. When LeBron you retires, then you move on from AD. Exactly. But for right, yeah. right now, you're doing that. And right now, if you do that and you say, hey, we can get a better perimeter defender because our perimeter defenders are, are trash if they're not Cam yeah. Reddish. Like, Torian Prince has been okay. Cam Reddish has actually been really good on that end. But Austin Reese and D'Angelo Russell are not fleet of foot. They're not good coming around screens. They're not really, they're more heady, like, smart iq players but like they're not good defensively and then when they're not paying attention they miss a rotation or stuff like that it makes it even worse but 
you know, having a point of attack defender who has played alongside LeBron, played alongside AD, knows the Lakers system, more or less. I mean, he probably doesn't know Darvin Hams, but having a guy like that, Alex Caruso, who's been impactful in a horrible Chicago team, would be good. Having mm-hmm. a guy in Zach Levine who just brings consistent offensive firepower. Lakers have been ice cold from three for most of the season, right? It's been LeBron putting up points. It's been AD, and then it's been rough for a lot of guys. D'Lo will come in and be consistent for the most part here and there. Um, he's had some horrible nights mixed in there as well, though. Um, you know, Austin Reeves will have some good games off the bench. He's had horrible nights as well, though. So, like, you have a guy who, like, in, in, in getting who's already putting up numbers as a more focal point in Zach Levine. Give him a role where he's able to just focus on scoring, make the most of spot attempts, finish on hard closeouts, be a guy that gets to benefit off the attention of LeBron AD. I think that will work wonders for him. And so I do think if you make a trade like, yes, yeah, it's not a panacea. They still have to work on their defense in general, their effort overall, their first quarter starts. Like these are things that just as a team have to be rectified. But you have two needs that have been checked off more or less by one trade. I definitely think that makes them better. You know, even if Zach Levine in a, in a nutshell is not a, I don't know, he's a better player than who you'd be trading out. But like, he's not a, a demonstrative better player. You're trading for like a third banana, but that third banana would be perfect for this team in a way that the last time you tried to trade for a third banana, Russell Westbrook didn't work. Yeah, I I think Caruso is actually the most obvious here. Like, I think you have like Caruso. That reunion makes too much sense. I also think DeRozan actually makes more sense than Levine. Tell me how. Please. I love DeRozan, but I'm curious to hear this. I think Levine is too much of a defensive liability. I don't think he fits what the Lakers need. And That's like fair. the Lakers winning this, I I could just see in crunch time, like a Caruso, DeRozan. Although DeRozan um, defensively is not that much better. Right? No, but he's better. Like DeRozan <laughs> is better. And fair, I think fair. it's also like, I don't see DeRozan getting in uh, issues with LeBron and AD in terms of shot distribution, things like that. I could see LeBron getting annoyed with some Zach Levine shots and getting annoyed with uh, Zach Levine's defense. I could see there being a more of a mutual respect from LeBron and DeRozan and seeing what DeRozan could provide. And I look at it, and I'm like, Austin Reeves off the bench makes a lot of sense. And you close with something like, I mean, even if, I don't think you can do DeRozan and Levine. I don't think that's the combination that works. That's a lot of money being brought in. And that's a lot of other <laughs> shots coming in there so it would be caruso in one of and i just i think derozan if you were to close with vanderbilt derozan um caruso ad and lebron like i mean yeah that leaves austin reeves out but maybe austin reeves is the one going out being traded if you're gonna get derozan and if you're getting derozan and um Caruso, caruso yeah he's gone I think that's a better team. Like that's a really good diverse. Like you have the defenders, you have the enough shooting. You can mix and match a little bit. I don't know. I just think. I like it. That's I don't know. Levine kind of scares me with the Lakers. I don't know if he's a great fit. I think as a shooter, he is as an offensive guy, like offensive Lakers have had moments lulls where they've struggled to cash in the shots. I think he'd be helpful there. I really do. Defensively, you're right. That does give Anthony Davis a lot more to have to cover, you know, defensively because he's not been great defensively. But like offensively, the upside of that guy being a guy who LeBron doesn't have to score 30 all the time or AD doesn't have to try to like, I think that would relieve pressure from them offensively and let LeBron be a threat in the high post. Let LeBron be able to exert more effort on the defensive side of the ball. You know, let LeBron be more of that kind of player and AD focus more defensively and be an ancillary, you know, finisher on the rim, um, knowing that you don't have to kind of take over a, a high usage offensively, play more within yourself and let Levine not take over the lion's share of that, but just know you can lean on him. He could be a workhorse for quarters and, and kind of just 
just get you consistent buckets, you know, um, defensively, right. Though that would be an issue. Um, there's no denying it, but I think he provides something that DeRozan doesn't can crunch on this floor spacing. That's a cramped floor. Yeah. Like DeRozan is great for the mid range, but in crunch time, that's a cramped floor because DeRozan and LeBron basically operate in the same positions. But you look at it and you're like, what if you just maximize that in crunch time? Like how much of a pain would it be to deal with those two? And crunch time be, for I mean, defenses. For a pick, it, it would be from like twenty feet and in. Yeah, like you're right, but the, like it'd be like, and especially if you're not getting foul calls, like it'd be tough. I mean, what was the closing five? The title year in the bubble. What was their closing five? Ad Lebron Keith, right? I think it was at least for the finals. It might have yeah. been, but he brought a little more floor spacing. It was him. I mean, LeBron. he can shoot. He's not a. Um, I wouldn't say keeps a floor floor spacer. I'd say you wouldn't say. I would say he's a floor spacer. Um, well, I'm looking at his numbers right now. Markeith Morris from well, he shoots like thirty percent from three or thirty thirty. Yeah. No, he shoots. No, four, he shoots a thirty four percent career three point shooter. Okay, so he's not below horrible. average, but yeah, he's not I mean, horrible. Not exactly, like he's not horrible from three. Yeah, but like if you're looking at look, the Lakers in it was. Alex Caruso, yep. Danny Green, KCP, LeBron, and AD. Yeah. Like, but I think Danny it was Green some of those. I don't think it, it was always. He uh, shoots it. Yeah. It wasn't always that for the starting five at all. Like, I know for the finals, it yeah. was those guys. And you had Rondo and Kuzma playing like 25 plus minutes. Yeah. But, like, they miss KCP, Danny, man. They, they really do. That was, a, they really do. Like, but you had shooting in KCP, a mm. shooting in Danny Green. You had defense between Danny Green, Caruso, and, um, KCP, mm. um, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Of course, LeBron James being three years younger helped, but mm. AD as well. But you had those two. Like, that was a pretty good squad, but it was a good mix. And if you bring in DeRozan, uh, I mean, you have less. De- I mean, okay, let's talk about it. If you bring in DeRozan, you have less shooting than Danny Green, Caldwell Pope, or even Caruso provides, True. right? You have more one on one scoring, but do you really need that when LeBron AD two man game is there? You can at least throw it to him and have him get you a bucket. So that's potential, right? defensively not great especially at his age like just not a thing shooting floor spacing no you bring in levine you have shooting floor spacing yes defensively forget about it um and then he's not exactly a guy who can like if you give him the ball he can get a bucket for himself he's not getting a bucket for others but neither did kcp danny green as caruso so i feel like it's an imperfect fit either way like your best bet honestly would have just been keeping all those guys like danny green is on the outside of the league right now but just because of age and injury but like kcp and as caruso would still be good for this lakers team like zero or just go back to the buddy healed stuff the the almost Laker just bring in Buddy Hill. I just I I think Buddy Hill gives you a floor spacing, but like he doesn't bring you much defensively. And let's be real, and I have to say this as well: Lakers have made all these trades for, for floor spacing shooting specialists the last couple of years. Mm. Most of them immediately regress. Like mm. ever since I call it, I call it the uh, Mike Muscala <laughs> effect. Ever since the trade from Mike Muscala back in 2018, a guy who came with three point shooting, and then he regressed and was yeah. in a slump. And then it's happened down the line with other guys they brought in to be shooters. I mean, even KCP when he first came in was mm. not super great from there, you know? Um, trying to think of other guys who just, their three-point shooting, Danny Green had moments. Like, he ended up rounding out to form, but he came in pretty slow, right? Malik Beasley, when they made the trade for Malik Beasley, like, that was horrible. Now he's shooting the lights out back in Milwaukee. The only Lakers guy who they signed, I'd say there's two, that they signed, like, as three-point shooters for what they brought three-point shooting that actually delivered was that horrible year that everyone likes to forget where they had Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk. Both shot around 38 40% from three. Both guys came in to bring in three-point shooting. They provided that. But ever the Lakers person they brought in, I mean, even now, like, look at the shooting numbers from guys who the Lakers brought in that were supposed to be shooters. I don't know what it is, but 
I don't know. I think there's an interesting rabbit, but this was rabbit hole to go into. But that was when you asked my NBA thoughts. That's where my mind is. What's up with the Lakers? To a much lesser extent, what's up with Chicago? And how are they going to rectify their respective issues? Uh, not in the in-season tournament because Billy Donovan was very upset at Joe uh, Missoula uh, running up the score a little bit late tonight. Uh, that was pretty funny. But also... It's all weird. Like the in-season tournament is rewarding point differential. So to make it out of your uh, your pool, you need to win by a certain amount. Of, you have to be up by a certain amount of points. Like it's all very weird. And I don't think Missoula and the Celtics wanted to do that, but they're having to do hack a drum and just to uh, get to where they needed to be. I don't know what. And very quickly, just because it's not on our run sheet, but I am curious. I will tell you, I feel really dumb trying to keep up with the in-season tournament. Like I really love the Hawks uniforms. Like they're great. I think the the black and blue turned out really well but the games are more intense i like that a lot of the courts are bad um i think the rockets is the really red one if i remember correctly that i did not like at all but um as a colorblind person uh very very blinding some of these that i'm looking at um it's a it's complicated man i i feel so dumb i don't know if you feel the same where i'm like looking at this and i'm like i if someone asked me and i cover this for like a living here corbin I couldn't explain it. Like I couldn't explain who's in, who's out. Like, and that should not have been the case. This should have been very simple for casual fans to jump in because the whole point was to get fans interested uh, more in regular season games. And nobody knows who's in, how this all works, and everything else. They just know that the courts look cool. I think that that's kind of the thing. Like mm. they don't know, but they're excited. Do you know? Do you feel good, Corbin? I don't I feel good. I have another podcast on it for a reason, bro. Like, no, like point differential was a thing I just was aware of two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Like, it's been rough. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not even going to pretend like I know. And it's sad because I want to cover this semi and I do talk about basketball like all the time. Yeah. But it's been, it was confusing for me. Um, yeah. But I can say that the intensity has gone up. Like, people care about games in November, which normally really don't. People yeah. don't really care about NBA games until what, Christmas time, which is like kind of the halfway point, really, of the season, if you will. Um, so to have that, it's cool. The different courts have been kind of crazy and haphazard, but at the same time, have also been unique in a change. And the players are more invested, you know? I like seeing players play through the final buzzer. I like seeing the, the, the friction that comes out of that, the exasperation from some teams. Is it kind of like teams are trying to – they're beating you by 20, and now, yeah, they're going for that bucket because they kind of need to get it because they're playing for bigger things than you. Like – I think that there's something fun about that. Um, with that being said, yeah, listen, now, like all, if you told me right now to write down all the rules in season tournament and group A, group B, group C, and the wild cards, and you know, no, no, no. And I, I feel embarrassed to say that. Um, but that's where I'm at with it right now. Like I'm looking at like long-term teams. I'm covering, looking at the draft and a lot of different things. That's not make excuse for myself. It's just like, Hey, I just don't know what to tell you, except like, it's really cool. It's exciting. I was kind of poo-pooing the idea when it first came. I didn't think it made any sense. Fast forward. I like the idea. It still doesn't make any sense. But, like, here we are, you know? Um, Keith Smith, I think, put something on Twitter that I liked where he basically said, hey, make it around to 64 once the NBA gets all of their all their G League affiliates in there. Like, just make it crazy. I just, we're overdoing it, man. So uh, we're, we're overdoing it. I, I hope this doesn't last. I, I, I really don't. Could it be you, one of those things? Don't want to keep it. Just, no, Too you want to go the way of um. You want to go the way of the NBA All Star Game where the captains pick the team. Yes, and everything. I think and that's that what's going to happen. I do think that's what's going to happen. When Silver retires, they go back and they're like, "We we tried." You're trying to do Premier League stuff, and I love Premier League, like a big Liverpool guy, but like you just can't. 
like that you just it's not gonna work like you just have decades upon decades of history it is and tradition different. and everything else it's just well i mean i think all we want to do I mean, is shorten the, the games the so we, we just wanted to anywhere we just wanted to go 82 to 68 and have everybody See, play their games that's all we wanted i'm not gonna lie to you i don't want to go there hmm i think 82 has been a tradition for literally 75 years yeah like well, like, I'm saying the no. reason we were doing that is just like the guys aren't available. So if they're not available and medical mm-hmm. teams are not letting them play 82 games, then like, okay, we got to adjust because well, the whole point my, is these guys play. That's true. My, see, and this is where I'm going to push back where I'm like, why aren't they playing? Yeah. Like you're saying 75 years, all of a sudden now, like players are not with all the access to medical staff and equipment and food and diet and regimen, all these things. You had people eating hot dogs and pizza before games and still playing. Mm. People smoking after games. And mind you, we're going way back. You had the 80s, people doing crack. Like, I'm just saying, like, and now we can't. Play. No, I think that's an evaluation of players. I think you keep mm. the 82 games and you figure it out. Like, I, I don't think I get the whole shortening with injuries and all that stuff, but like, look at it now. Like, what, the NCAA tournament isn't the reason that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are playing all the games? Yeah. They've played every game this season. That's great. And they've had, like, it. sometimes it just works that way. They had injuries the last couple of years, they don't now. Like load management hasn't been a problem for them. They're still playing and they're playing well, but the, but the injuries that happened weren't because of load management. The injuries that happened were just injuries that happened. So in my mind, it's like just let it go and keep it going, you know. Like, but I get it. Um, with that being said, like I, I didn't like the NCAA tournament when it came out, and that's not going anywhere now. So I don't know. Like nothing would surprise me. I just feel like they're throwing stuff at the wall. I think uh, they are, but I'm saying like they the NCAA tournament stuck for them. Like that's I couldn't see that going anywhere. Too many people like it. It gives too many teams a chance now in the ninth and tenth spot that wouldn't have had one to begin with. And at first it was really dumb to me, but like really dumb to me. But now looking at it and seeing and seeing how it's been for some teams to have a chance to look at Minnesota, we'd never gotten Minnesota in their whole won the championship Pat Beverly celebration after they beat the Clippers in the nine ten game. Like things like that. Like it gives teams an opportunity they wouldn't have, and some could argue shouldn't have, but. I could think of what 2008, 2016, like two or three years where if the playing tournament had been around, teams that should have been in the playoffs would have had a chance to make the playoffs. Where you had teams that were like 45, 46 wins out of it just because every other team was just better in a competitive team where they won more than 50% of their games. You know what I mean? So it's weird. I'm, I'm with you. I think the NBA is in the stage of just like throwing stuff at the wall. I think they hit with the playing the playing tournament. I don't think they hit with the in season tournament. But then again, like their theme song is "Mama Said Knock You Out" by LL Cool J, which was like the hit song when we were kids, bro. But like we're in our late twenties, early thirties now. I'm um, I'm I'm inching on mid thirties, man. That's right. Oh, next year. it's kind of terrifying. Oh, see, you're ageless because I did not know that. But yeah, I'm 28. Like. Like I'm just saying, like they, like they don't have the right notes on it, you know. What yeah. they need to do is bring back NBA and NBC. I need well, round ball rock. Anyway. I need the. You think so? The TV rights are coming in. Uh, they're up soon, so there's going to be some changes. Um, I'm assuming Amazon's going to get in there big way, but NBA and NBC, yeah, that would be great. I bring it back. Um, final thing here: the Magic have quietly won seven straight. Corbin, what's flip for the Magic? Are you a believer that they could end up being a top four seed in the East this year? Are they a fun league pass team to folks who have not uh, dove into the Magic uh, much this year because the Magic haven't given you a reason to dive into the Orlando Magic in close to a decade? What What do you think of uh, of, it, of all that right now? Yeah, I um, I mean, I like or I I like Orlando. I think that their defense has been great. It's been a surprise story, and it's been cool to see. You know, Paolo Ben Carroll's been playing well, Franz Wagner, um, but not just them. You know, they've had 
Cole Anthony, like playing just really, really well. You've had um, guys coming out. Um, I'm trying to think. Why am I forgetting his name right now? Um, and I'm looking right at him. Um, geez. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, this is great, great radio, Corbin. I'm looking at him right now. He plays, um, he's guard for the Magic. Jalen Suggs? Thank you. Thank you. Jeez, Jalen Suggs. Playing, playing very like, well. Playing very well. And bringing intensity and passion. Like it's a yeah. game seven of the finals every time he plays. He's I becoming the it. Brandon Roy we all hoped he might be. I mean, listen, he needs a little more scoring, but yes, right? Like He's like, like a weird yeah. cross between Brandon Roy and Kyle Lowry. Yeah, something like that. Something like yeah. that. I like it. Good frame. So like, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I just think you have, I don't know, you have guys like um, Markel Fultz and, and Gary Harris still in the mix. Like, they've been a really good team defensively. They get after it. They make it tough. Nobody wants to play them, and you love that. Um, at the same time, like, and in, in transition, they're good as well. Um, when the game slows down and they got to do half-court offense, mm. not great. Not always great. And that's the one thing that holds me back. I don't think top four seed. I think between five and eight is better. Um, I think, but they, they could, if they made a top four seed, it wouldn't surprise me. They're not making a top three. If they made a top four, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. We'll see what happens with Miami. We'll kind of see what happens there. But like, we'll see what happens with Atlanta, like New York. Like those are teams I would have over Orlando when it's all said and done. But if they did make it, I wouldn't be surprised. I just think their half-court offense needs to improve in a major way because right now this is not a thing. And they're a young team that's playing way better Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...than anyone expected, and that's really good to see. Um, the fact that they're challenging for a playing game and the playoff spot is amazing. Like, nothing to shortchange that. But, yeah, their, their half-court offense has not been super great, and that is something I'm concerned about. Um, overall, their shooting is kind of hit or miss still. You know, they have some guys who shoot the ball well, but that's just something I feel like they're a little light on that. Um, I just think there's certain qualities for a top-four seed that they are lacking outside of their rock-solid defense, which is great, but just one aspect there. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, now they're out of the lottery, right? Like, we were wondering when you were going to get out and when you were going to stop making these high picks. And, like, Jonathan Isaac still just around and uh, playing a little bit. But, like, Joe Ingles was a good offseason signing. Uh, being without Wendell Carter hasn't sunk their season. Like, they've really missed him. And batazzi has been okay. But, like, Wendell Carter is really, really important to what they're trying to do. Um, I love Franz Wagner as a glue guy. But it's just weird because I guess we'll see a lot of it's going to depend on what Anthony Black is, right? Like he needs to develop. He also needs time to develop. Jet Howard, uh, obviously another one who needs to get more minutes eventually down the line to see what you have there. But like, they just have like twelve guys <laughs> that are competent role players in this league. Like, love Markel. He's uh, been out, but like you look at 
So if you look at Kel, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Gary Harris, Anthony Black, Joe Ingles, Franz Wagner, um, Jonathan Isaac, Paolo Bencaro, Wendell Carter, uh, Mo Wagner, and Batazzi, and even Chumo Kiki, who was uh, an internet NBA Twitter darling years ago. Like, they're just really deep. They're not the deep in terms of just, like, all kinds of great talent, but, like, there is some thunderness to them, right? I, like, they're they're not as high upside as the Thunder are because Shea is a top five player in the league right now. And uh, Chet Holmgren is looking like he can be uh, at that point uh, maybe in the next couple of years. But, like, there is some vibe that's similar to me in terms of, like, I just think they have so many competent, good role players now that they're developing enough guys that, they're just going to be really solid. They're kind of, they're, they're just going to be fun. I think they're a more well-rounded version of what the Pacers are, where I don't think the Pacers right now have anyone that profiles as a top five, top 10 player in the league. The Magic, I think, have more upside there uh, in that realm. Like, we'll see what Anthony Black can become. We'll see really what Palo Bencaro can become more than anything else. Franz can be a really good player for a long time, but he's not a top 10 guy in the league. I don't know. Like, Suggs still don't think he's that, but can he be a really good role player for this team? Can they have a bunch of just really smart, competent basketball players and be like top 15 ish in offense and defense? I could see it. Like there's just enough there that they just know what they're doing. A lot of guys have now played a lot of minutes together. It's just I, it, the magic are fun. They're just nice. Like they're a friend, the, your friendly neighborhood Orlando magic that just know how to play competent basketball. And I think are just going to hang around. I don't think they will be a top four seed, but I do think they're definitely a playoff team and some a team on the rise that are going to be in the playoffs uh, with this core for the foreseeable future. It's really cool to see these young teams playing the way that they are. That's for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, this Magic team almost made the playing tournament, which, like, again, not a big deal, but, like, the yeah, fact I think that they're out like, of it now. They are out of it, for sure. But, like, the fact that there was even some buzz, like, oh, they, there was a watch party today mm-hmm. with the Magic. So, like, maybe they'll make the playing tournament, which is kind of cool. Like, they're a good young team. Mm-hmm. Not a good team. Not a young team. A good young team. Yeah. Because Portland's a young team but they're not a good team. And you could say, like, Philadelphia's a good team. I wouldn't say they're a young team. But, like, I think you have a perfect mix there, you know, between um, good and young with Orlando, and they're only going to get better. Whether they make the playoffs this year, if not, I think they're almost a lock to make it next year, you know, barring unforeseen injury or a big personnel shift. But really cool to see the way they're playing. And you broke it down really well. A lot of solid players. I want to see who steps up to be the guy or if they're going to have, like, a 2013 um Denver Nuggets, 2017 Atlanta Hawks, where it's like team basketball and everyone's good and some bridge of like a better player than the others, but they're all in the same sort of like nucleus there. Like that's that's cool too. That I don't, you know, that's I don't think it's a 2004 going to work Pistons good, but it's it's a good team. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there. There you go, Corbin. What can the good books check out from you all across the internet this week? Um, honestly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Corbin NBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A, um, basketball intelligence, check out the newsletter there. Um, I help put that together part of the, during the week, um, we get the best stories, we put them up together, um, and we have them available in your inbox. So you don't have to look through what's real and what's not, and what's good writing, and what's not, because we do that for you. So really good stuff there. We try to highlight up and coming writers. We try to do really good team pieces and, um, you know, league-wide stories, and we we are really extensive with the way we do it. I can personally attest, being part of the process, like, it's it's a good chunk of time. But, you know, it's worth it for the readers, and it's really validating to be able to do that um, and really cool to be a part of that. Um, as far as my own personal output, um, Round Ball Ramble will start that this upcoming week um, for sure. 
Um, been kind of all over with that, but being more consistent with that. Um, roster reconstruction, we put on a pod. We played an NBA Hold'em where you we picked different teams. Um, we did like the um, Los Angeles Clippers with um, Chris Paul and um, Blake Griffin or the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And you have these duos and then we each like pick three players to fit around them. The only thing is they can only have made one all-star game or one um, defensive player, like defensive player of the year award. So like it's definitely a mix of role players that fit with these players. That was really fun and a cool roster building exercise. So anyway, that's the spiel. Again, find all of that in random Twitter, NBA rants, musings, all of that at Corbin NBA. Um, and then catch me here at Chase basically every week. Basically every week when no, when no holidays uh, we we get make it happen. So it's one of my favorite parts of the week, and I hope it is y'all's as well. Corbin, thank you as always, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, friend. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Preds Power here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee everything school hq we're just a few minutes removed from the nashville predators coming out with a 3-2 overtime thriller win over the pittsburgh penguins one of my favorite games of the year and very very glad uh to see all that happen live and my wife look over at me like what just happened as i am over there watching and uh see philip forsberg uh with a big time goal to wrap things up in an angry uh, Pittsburgh Penguins coach as he leaves the bench and heads into the locker room to talk all about that and much more Preds hockey. Brian Baston of OnTheForeCheck.com. Brian, good evening, sir. How are you? Good. And actually, I'm, I'm seeing online right now that um, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of women who uh, just suddenly turned pregnant after that overtime goal by Philip Forsberg. So, you know, the man's put up what now? That's 12 goals, 27 points in 21 games. So we in this house, we respect and love Philip Forsberg. We respect uh, Philip Forsberg in this house and in, on this podcast. Someone who also uh, very much respects uh, Philip Forsberg and the offensive firepower. Uh, many are saying some of the best offensive firepower in the National Hockey League. It's Mr. Jeff Middleton of Flames Nation on the forecheck. Renegades of Puck, uh, the Nashville soccer team, uh, Miami play-by-play the hockey news, like all over the place. If it's something about hockey or something about Nashville, the man or, or Miami, the man's probably or writing about player. it. There you go. Jeff Middleton. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, that, you're, you're right, Chase. That was a, an intense game between two teams that looked pretty evenly matched and it ended just as about as as you might expect one of those games to end. So yeah, it was entertaining for sure. And, and yeah, I mean, Philip Forsberg, boy, he's pretty good, eh? Yeah, he's pretty good. And not, also, not Brian, we're the two happy ones. Jeff's the grumpy one over here in the in the group chat. Just like it's two it's average teams grumpy. battling it out. Yeah, I'm just like it was. It was. He's gone through. He's gone through a lot. Clearly, he's uh, uh, clearly 500 level. He, he, I'm not saying either of those two. I think that neither of those two teams are playing Stanley Cup caliber hockey right now. And I, I don't think you're taking into consideration that that Luke Shen's continued existence is is really just putting a damper on on Jeff's style. Mm. That's also fair. He's making the penalty kill better, apparently. I mean, look, yeah, there's a lot's happening. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about, and the Preds have now won six straight. The Preds, as of this recording, are over 500, over the 500 mark, a little over 20 games in the NHL season. 
Uh, Brian, what do you make of this win streak and what's the biggest thing you've uh, learned from Nashville over the last uh, two weeks? Well, I mean, I think that what we saw from the beginning of the year, um, I think their opening stretch, I think they went five and ten um, and now they've gone six oh and oh which is which is crazy uh, but th- there were signs of it again like there's this team has a lot to 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 fix um this is still i don't think by, by any means a you know conference finals type team and i'm gonna keep saying things like that hoping they prove me wrong but um you know we saw all the effort we've seen what andrew burnett has done to the offense with the focus on you know creating those shots i mean ryan o'reilly whether or not he knows it, I think he is my new, the new analytics king because, mm. you know, he's just big man get to net. And it's, you know, it's resulted in him being, I think, in the top 2% of all forwards and goals above uh, replacement this year. And, and the Preds were, they were creating, they were creating chances all over the place. They just weren't converting. And, you know, logic says that everything regresses back to the mean. And sure enough, now they're shooting the lights out, um, you know, scoring four or five goals per game. Um, they're actually with withstanding, you know, giving up a, those two goal leads. They did it again tonight, and uh, it took them what sixty one minutes f- almost to 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 fix that. But they did that. I mean, but again, I mean, I, I will also say that I don't think Pittsburgh deserved to win this game when you have Mike McCarron scoring two on you, making it look making him look like uh, gosh, I mean, look like PK Subban out there shooting those those goals. It was it was something to behold, and I was really hoping he'd get that final that one last step into getting that uh uh the Gordie Howe hat trick but alas we had to settle for a a Philip Forsberg goal I'll take it though it was fun of course Uh, course. I I will absolutely take it what did you make of that fight like did you see it coming did you have that same expectation going into overtime and should that have been called and did Sullivan have a point here Brian Bass no I don't think so I mean if you look at it I don't think that I watched it a couple times and I was a little bit more focused on seeing if O'Reilly stayed on side, which mm. miraculously he did, even though him and Crosby like just flew into each other at full speed. It looked like when you watch peewee hockey and kids just, you know, they finally get up to, you know, two, three miles an hour and they just collide at full speed. And that's what it looked like. And I mean, I wouldn't, if you wanted to call an interference on O'Reilly on that one, you'd also have to call one on Crosby. And it was, it was just kind of a bad play. It was unlucky. And I think, you know, the other 22 guys on the roster for Nashville would have, you know, taken that puck, circled it back, waited for O'Reilly to get up. But, you know, how Philip Forsberg does, he says, I'll take care of this by myself. And as soon as I saw him streak, streak past the the big pileup, I, I knew it was over. I mean, he's he, he went in and tucked it up over the glove. I mean, it was just he's. I, I'm gushing about him a lot, and I'm not even talked about the thing that I think has impressed me the most is just how good defensively he's been this season too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he may not be, you know, he, Philip Forsberg may not end with the heart or something like that, or the Rocket Richard, um, although he could. I mean, 12 goals. I think the league lead is 15 right now, and he didn't even, he he only scored one goal in the whole month of October. So you know, he got a late start, but it's it's has been it's been his defensive play. I mean. If you watching the game and yeah, uh, nerds, we do watch the game every once in a while. I mean, mm-hmm. Forsberg is in on literally everything. I think he is, you know, he's throwing a lot more hits. He's winning a lot more puck battles and getting into those puck battles. I, I mean, this is, you know, and someone like Jeff who who's seen Selkie, you know, caliber guys, you know, up close and personal a little bit more than me. I mean, I'm not saying that he's a he's a front runner for it, but, you know, start putting him in the mix because, you know, what he's doing 
all 200 feet of the ice is just insane. And the fact that is that he's being rewarded for that by, I don't know, playing like a, like a madman this season. You know, I said myself before the season started, you know, he's going to be good. I, if he stays healthy, I think he's going to produce, but I don't see him scoring 40 goals. And uh, he took that personally. So. Yes, he did. Jeff Middleton, your strongest takeaway from the Preds uh, win streak and what happened tonight in this game uh, with the Pens? Um, I mean, kind of in the same vein as what Brian said. I think I think Philip Forsberg's been kind of the driver. I mean, we talked about it, I think, a week or two ago when, you know, Forsberg was getting all of the expected goals but was not scoring and he wasn't putting the puck in that like a, a lot of people expected he would to start the season. And now the puck is finally going in for him and he's, you know, he's been fantastic. You know, I think he's on pace for over a hundred points, 46 goals, something like that. Um, He's, he's just, this is the best Philip Forsberg that we have seen in his career. I, I, Mm. I I honestly believe that. Um, And, and, you know, it's not to say that other Philip Forsbergs in the past haven't been good, but he's just been, you know, he's been that level. And I think in, in 2021, 22, when he scored, you know, 40 plus goals, I think he was, he was good in a different way than he's, he has been this year. I think that, you know, what Brian said about his two-way play, I think uh, he just, it just looks like he's managing the play more than he did that year. Um, And that's, you know, Forsberg's really good at that. And he's really good at a lot of, a lot of other things when it comes to kind of managing the ice and, and getting people to open up lanes and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think like, you know, you look at him, he's the biggest difference I've seen this year that I, you know, you, you kind of notice what Philip Forsberg's really good at is his shot and his, you know, using his body to protect the puck and, and all that stuff. But his shot is, is what makes him really good. And, you know, past seasons, we've seen him kind of, you know, use that to his advantage and in, in, in all sorts of different spots, but Man, his release this year, I don't know what he did over the offseason, but holy moly, he looks just lethal. Every time the puck comes off its stick, it, his stick, it's with power. It's precise. Like there were a couple times tonight where he wasn't even on balance and he just kind of like just ripped it full force. And like it, you know, Jari had to make the save and like it was just kind of out of nowhere. Um, but it's been like that all season. And I think there has not been a time during Philip Forsberg's career where his shot has looked as threatening as it does this season. I really think that that makes a huge difference, not only at even strength, but on the power play as well. Um, because Philip Forsberg so good at also moving the puck. I mean, we saw him on McCarron's second goal and get the puck and he's, he's immediately a threat when he gets the puck and he's in the far circle and he looks cross ice and finds Tomasino through a seam, perfect pass right to the tape. Then Tomasino tries to get it through puck. The pass is blocked and McCarron, you know, McCarron finds the loose puck and miraculously throws it towards the net, goes top shelf, does a somersault, you know, all the works. Um, but that kind of stuff, you know, it, it, it's, it might be a, a product of this Andrew Burnett system. I think, I think there's definitely something to that, but I also think, you know, Philip Forsberg's he's in the prime of his career right now and he looks, he looks really good. And I think that the, the stat sheet's finally starting to reflect, you know, how, how important he is not only to this Preds team, but how good, you know, what we figured his prime would be. I, I'll, I'll say this, which one of these players doesn't, doesn't, you know, isn't like the others. If you look at guys that Philip Forsberg's played with, you know, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, Matt Duchesne, um, Mikhail Granlin, um, 
and then Ryan O'Reilly. You know, it's it's not to say again, like the year that Duchesne and Forsberg, where both of them had 40 goals, first two 40 goal scores in in you know in franchise history, did it on the same line. That was great. You know, we remember what the Jofa line looked like and how fun that was. Um, but you know, Forsberg's never had that guy, like a power forward type, you know, who's dangerous. He's not just a get in the middle in front of the net and and take up space, but a dangerous, dangerous player. And that I think that's the best thing because I've always thought of Philip Forsberg being the reason why he's special, at least, you know, is that he has that a really good combination of both power and technique. Um, you know, we saw that in those goals um, against Colorado back in what, 2018, 2019 in the playoffs, you know, mm-hmm. where he, he turned Sam Gerard into a pretzel. And then a couple nights later, just powered past, uh, I can't even remember who it was. I mean, but oh, just, oh, I remember his name. Let me keep talking, but I'm going to think of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's that's one of the things is, you know, he knows when to use which of those skills. And I, and I think that's, you know, you know, I always joke that Kevin Fiala struggled because he wanted to play a lot like Forsberg and he had the technique, he had the shot and he had the speed, but he just never could power the puck past anybody. And that would kind of, you know made him struggle but Forsberg you know not many guys can do that and it's 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 crazy to watch him because I mean anytime he has the puck I mean if he's if he's over on that left side like on the left circle just kind of floating you know back behind the net and sitting there and he's got the puck in like a foot of space I mean you know you pretty much can stand up if you're a fan because it's either going to be a goal or a really really good chance because you know you just I don't know why teams keep leaving him alone um because they just let him drive in and he's they're creating magic it's it's phenomenal to watch i like it uh well brian you have something you i think want to ask uh add about uc soros and yes this win streak duncan siemens that's who it is yes it it. was it was duncan siemens yeah good job (laughs) Uh, that was that's that's crazy you were 12 when that game happened um (laughs) so yes so the question has been What's up with UC Saros? UC Saros is still sitting towards the bottom of the league and goals saved above expected, depending on which website you look at. Um, and, you know, we, we're all a little worried. You know, this looks like one of his worst stop, uh, you know, starts to, to a career. And it's, it's, it was a little concerning. He, you know, he had some games where even if you're not into the advanced stats, you know, it's games where he just flat out didn't look good. So, I always usually like to wait until about 20 game mark or so. In this case, it's now 17 games for UC Saros and look back the last four years and how he did in his first 17 games. And folks, he's right up there, right on pace. He's sitting at about now, I think, 2.7 goals saved above expected, even though he had dipped down uh, as low for the season so far, down to about negative two and a half goals saved above expected and he's done that you know in four straight games now colorado finishing above expected uh calgary way above expected winnipeg above expected and then this game i mean if you i, I posted the shot map but if i'm using Saros at some point I'm, I'm walking into that locker room after a game and demanding dinner be bought uh from that defense because he was getting pummeled like you can't even see the goalies crease on like a shot map because of all the shots that Pittsburgh took about within 10 feet of UC Saros. So he is right. He's on right on pace with the rest of his career. In fact, the closest that he's actually, you know, the only time that he's had a little bit worse of a start, um, you know, he actually dipped down to as low as uh, minus three and a half goal saved, above, uh, goal saved above expected. 
that was that was last season and last season was arguably the greatest season you know that UC Saros has ever played so what I'm seeing is that you know he's 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 coming back he's bouncing back there's still a lot of problems the penalty kill goaltending and penalty kill in general is a massive problem and I think that there's equal equal blame to go around between the penalty killing units who just have not really seemed to figure it out and and UC Saros because you know he was best in the NHL last season on the PK and now he's I think bottom five so you know he's got still has to turn that around I think he did a good job of that tonight but you know, I wanted to wait to look at the numbers and to look at the trends until we hit this this quarter season mark. And you know, folks, it's it's better than I thought. In fact, you know, if he continues as long as pace, he'll start picking right back up where he left off last season. So I think this six game, this win streak, even though credit to Kevin Lankinen, who has quietly come in, done his job and won hockey games like it was nothing. Uh, but I mean, a lot of this streak goes to. UC Saros, Kevin Lankinen, Ben Vanderklok, the the goaltending coach, because you have to give them time, but they will figure it out. And, you know, these aren't just anybody that they're beating, you know, that game against Colorado, the crazy game against Colorado, you know, Calgary, Jeff knows, like, I don't know what to think about Calgary. I still have no clue what this is. And I'm sure that I don't know what to think about. Calgary. (laughs) I'm sure Calgary fans would look at Nashville and go, I have no clue what they are like either. Winnipeg, who is quietly becoming everything I thought Minnesota was going to be this season, uh, you know, and, and in Pittsburgh, you know, it's there, ha- they have these bad games, uh, but I don't know. I've said it before. I'll keep saying it probably the third or fourth w- week straight in a row, man, Andrew Burnett, this is really fun hockey and it's fun for everybody. Not just us stats nerds, not just the eye test people. It's, it's great. It's frustrating at times and, you know, it'll may give you a heart attack, but, it's a lot of fun. And just imagine give it two more years in this system, actually some, some well-developed players, some free agents, stuff like that. This has the makings of, of, you know, the team like he had in Florida, he took over in Florida, you know, they won the president's trophy. This is a fun team. They figure out special teams. They're going to be even more dangerous. There you go. Jeff, a friendly face, an old face has re-entered the division and will re-enter Preds fans lives. Uh, a lot uh, over the next several months and maybe years, depending on how things go uh, with this particular coach. Coach Hines is resurfaced and John Hines is now the new Minnesota wild head coach here. Um, What was your immediate reaction when you saw this news, Jeff? And what's the nicest thing you can say about what this means for the Minnesota wild the rest of the season? My immediate reaction uh, was laughter and, <laughs> oh, no. Um, and I, I mean, I think we've been pretty <laughs> critical of John Hines on this podcast. I mean, I sure haven't shied away from it. I know that. Um, I, I think as far, as far as what this means for the wild, I, I don't I don't know if you can really get any worse than where they were, where they are currently. Um, I mean, you, you can like, <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a low. I was going to say really the sharks are right there. I say, there was a really low bar considering mm. where the, considering the guys on the roster that the wild have, it's hard to get lower than this. Mm. Um, I think that John Hines is underwhelming. If you're a wild fan, um, I think that 
a big problem for the Wild this season specifically has been goaltending. And I think a lot of that, you know, I don't think that can really be helped with the coaching change. Um, you know, I, I think that the Wild are, you know, built on defensive structure and goaltending. And, you know, John Hines, admittedly, the defense at times has been solid for the teams he's coached. Um, so I'll give him that. Um, and, and for a, a team like the Wild, it might, you know, it might work. Um, I mean, they won tonight against a pretty bad Blues team, but they won tonight nonetheless in his debut. Um, I think they'll have a little bit harder of a test on Thursday against the Preds. Um, but, but yeah, I think that the Wild need their creative players to shine. One of the guys who has been super underwhelming this year has been Kirill Kaprizov. And frankly, I don't know what John Hines is planning on doing with him because we watched it in Nashville and in New Jersey when I went to those god-awful games against the Rangers. Just nothing, nothing creative offensively. To be fair, he did produce the only two 40-goal scorers in Nashville history. Did he or did shooting luck? I, I like I think I understand that point, but like the fact that you know all, every single one of those guys was shooting over their you know average, way over their average, and like yeah, I don't and think they only don't made think, the wild card. Like I don't think I don't think that's like Phil Forsberg is not overshooting his average anymore. I think that is his new average. I think he's just like a twenty six percent shooter now. <laughs> But I, no, I, I get your point because it's, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm more of a John Hines defender than most. It was time to get him to go, but I think he came into a, a crappy situation. I've said that before. But why him? Why now? I can't imagine. I know that there had been some rumors in the offseason that some teams had brought him in. But I mean, the man has is two was two days shy of being unemployed for six months. I mean, six months, he's back in the, in the division. He's in the central. He's now head coach. But what was the rush? Like, for me, if you're going to fire Dean Evison, again, another former national organization uh, coach, um, originally drafted uh, right after David Poyle was brought on as GM by the Washington Capitals because Minnesota just can't get enough of the old Nashville retreads. Um, it's... It, you do this kind of a you, you fire a guy like this and you, and you send that message because you've got a guy in mind. And the couple people I talked to up in Milwaukee said that they were surprised, like I was, that that's the kind of if you the, the, the really good move that Minnesota could have done with this is that they would have fired Everson and hired Carl Taylor. Mm. And what I've heard, they didn't reach out. I mean, that one makes more that would that's a kind of a move, and it doesn't have to be Carl Taylor, you know, for example. But like that's the kind of move where you're wanting a guy who's got a high profile, who's been building a big, a good resume, and you want to bring him back into the league. Um, you want to get somebody before other teams start jumping on him. And I just don't know if the demand for someone like John Hines was that high, um, or why Minnesota needed decided they needed to fire Everson now. I mean, teams look can turn around after 20 games. It's you know they are looking god awful. They're six ten and four, but. You know, Nashville was five ten and five ten and one not too long ago. So it, it happens that way. It's and and also I wanted to mention about the Sharks and you talking about the Sharks being bad. Um, did you know that the San Jose Sharks and Toronto Maple Leafs both have the same amount of regulation wins with five? Hmm. I just mentioned that because I like being a hater. But anyways, um 
the sharks they're I, I like them they're fun they're bad but man they're fun um are they fun I, are you are they fun is that the way to describe them brian it's fun if you like watching the kids william okay. Eklund is cool as hell but we, i got off topic I, I apologize jeff but i mean i just don't. Uh, it's, i i agree I, I think that you know it's not a bad look. bad hire it's it could be it could be worse it, they could have brought you know you know who back in for you know, a fourth chance again to, to, you know, snatch cell phones from somebody in another city. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, I just think that if you're looking to get a guy like Kirill Kaprizov going or, or Marco Rossi going or, or Matt Boldy going, I just don't think John Hines is the guy. And I don't think he's the guy, you know, he wasn't the guy in New Jersey. He wasn't the guy in Nashville. Like he hasn't been able to really do that. And we saw it like the, the amount of PTSD that I have, from watching Jesper Bratt get fourth line minutes. And then the moment John Hines leaves, he's promoted to the top six and starts scoring at incredible rates. I just boggles my mind. Like, Wasn't he healthy scratching Nico too? Yes, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But I will and say I just, this, I and I stand by this. I stand by this. And maybe not in the current season now that they're both in the league, but I'd still, if you had to bring one of the two former coaches back, I'd still take Hines over Laviolette. Wow. Wow. Considering how the Rangers are doing, that's a take. Because Peter Peter Laviolette does one thing really well. He comes into a franchise. They're going to get into the middle of the standings. He's going to stabilize them out. He's going to start building a really good, like, foundation for them. And then he's going to hit the playoffs every year and refuse to change his game plan. And he might win a few rounds. He might even get to the Stanley Cup. But I mean, he's the only coach I believe that's won that's lost the Stanley Cup final with three different teams. So, but I mean, that's what happened the last two, three years of his career. Was like you could watch it. Game one, they would look good. Game two, they'd still look all right. And then they, they just wouldn't adapt. And that's the problem. I think. I mean, all credit to him because Rangers look great. They look fantastic, and people are hailing Laviolette as the second coming, which is, you know, we all we've all done that. I'll say we're we're all guilty of it, um, and and maybe this is different, but you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the team. I don't know. It, it's just I just know that we know what Laviolette is, and you know, it's like it's like back with with Phil Fulmer. Like he got predictable when he brought Randy Sanders back. Everybody knew what the play calls were going to be, and they were going to suck. And opponents knew that, and they took advantage of it. It's the same type of thing with guys like Laviolette. Not so much with as Heinz, you know like Jeff will tell you, because I know Jeff feels this, you know, feels very strongly about this subject, but how he manages the development of young players. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big, that's a big thing. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of guys that still should be on this national predators team. That would be a perfect fit for this this rebuild. I mean, you don't have a guy uh, talking to the Finnish media like he did. If John Hines did a good job. So. Yeah. And also, also, Nashville could have, you know, they could have signed uh, Evan Rodriguez, but that's again. I just <laughs> want to bring that up after they took, they stole the game from my boy tonight. So it was a double hit. It's and also, a hit. <laughs> you know, what's funny to me that's it's only a hockey thing for some reason. No one, no other sports league does this in America, where they just hire a new long-term answer in the middle of the season. Like this is a strictly hockey thing that I like. Like it's got to be extremely hard to just parachute into these situations 
All right, you're 20 games into the season. Um, you don't have any familiarity with any of these guys. You're replacing a coach, and you're like, all right, go right the ship in the middle of this year. No training camp, no anything. This is your team now, um, not your staff. Uh, good luck, because like Quinn Snyder just did that for the Hawks down the stretch last year, and it was like one of the weirdest things I've ever seen is the Hawks brought him in with uh, Nate McMillan's staff, so it wasn't his coaches, you know, he's on the bench with guys that he's not going to retain going into next year. It was so weird, but this is something so normal in hockey that I've found very fascinating that you don't see in any other uh, American professional sport. And I mean, that's again, like that type of hire is like if because you want to snag an Andrew Brunette, you want to get a Spencer Carberry, mm -hmm. you want to grab a Carl Taylor like this is I mean, the NHL is insanely guilty. And to bring it back to college football, like the NHL is filled and I'd say about 29 out of 32 head coaches in the NHL are just different flavors of Kirk Ferentz. And when they get fair, when they get fired, it's it's just his son or him again. And because and, and that's what it is. And, you know, they don't bring in. It's not a you know, this isn't the like other leagues where, you know, guys make their names in college or in the minor leagues and they bring up innovative new minds. You know, that happens in some places, but it, not often. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's just, you know, hockey values that, OK, we're going to bring in this guy to get everybody kind of buckled in to settle down <laughs> to realize that this season needs to be fixed. He needs a no nonsense, serious guy and got to get pucks deep and blah. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's such a different landscape that, you know, you can get a, an interim coach to come in. I didn't think 20 games in, but you know, a guy to come in and, and kind of, you know, cause hockey players by, you know, are pretty, you know they're stuck in their ways they have they have their routines and they have their things that they do and i'm sure that practices don't change very much at the beginning and they slowly morph their way but it's just and and devil's advocate why would john hines take this job too i don't i don't you think he see... would have got another one i mean i don't know that but if he wanted back in i mean you just don't know yeah like how old I... is john hines um, uh, I don't know, probably his fifties. I'm oh, guessing. is he only fifties? Hmm. Let's find he out. He is only forty-eight. Damn. Damn. Okay, he could have been a little bit more selective. He I've stared been. that man in the eyes for like three straight years. And I would have I never guessed he was forty-eight. Yeah. It, it's uh, but I mean it just doesn't seem like I don't know. I mean, I guess it kind of does, but I mean I just kind of associate him more. I would see him wanting to go back up northeast, I I thought. Um but Oh well, I don't know. It's just it's a it's a weird pick. I don't think Everson necessarily deserved to be fired. Uh, I think he was being punished for his GM's actions, which, which very appropriate they bring John Hines in. Um, but uh, it, it's it's just a weird situation to do that, and that's your answer. But again, it's not an abuser. It's not a racist. So it's a win for hockey. Uh, the bar is quite low. That's right uh, for new coaches. Um, well, we'll end it here, Jeff. Ultimately, does Jet the Heinz hire work out for the Wild? Let's put clairvoyant the clairvoyant hat on. Two years from now, do we look at this hire and is like, oh, that was a sneaky good adjustment. They did a great job. Now the Wild are really good and they figured stuff out. Or do you think it's one where it's like, what this was? This was the wrong course. Which way do you think we go two years from now? Uh, two years from now, I think that the only reason it would work would be if Jesper Wallstead came in and decided to be phenomenal. Mm. So mm -hmm. system-wise, no. <laughs> Goaltending-wise, if Jesper Wallstead is going to Jesper Wallstead, which he's he really good at doing that, I would say he's going to do it, then, yeah, I think it might work. 
or it'll at least be an it'll at least be good enough to keep him around. Minnesota's a good team. I think they've just been bad for stretches. They need but I a think they need I think a first that, line center. No, there's Nylander for you. Um, but uh, no, well, I mean, I just, I, old, baby, he's on, he's on the market. <laughs> but I think Minnesota's a better team. I think they're a better team than they look like right now. And I could very well see him straighten this out and like get him kind of close to wild card and then have him start pretty well. And they give him an extension next year. I'm not saying that he will, you know, finish that extension on a contract, but I think he is coming into a, a pretty decent situation. There's a lot of talent, I would say. You know, got a lot of young talent. Again, you got guys like Wallstead, you got Kaprasov, you've got Marco Rossi, who is just there are more guys in the pipeline too, which are you know, Yurov mm -hmm. and and who's who's a Dinov and all those guys. Like, there's still guys that can come over and make an impact at the NHL level. Yep, and I, if you're you playing for the Iowa Wild, your favorite thing to do is to just start fights in Milwaukee games, which is always very entertaining. But man, those games get rough. Uh, no, I mean, so I mean, he's coming into a, a fairly favorable situation i mean colorado looks beatable or at least just a little bit more mortal um you know edmonton who knows what's going on with them i mean it's oh, they're bad yeah they're bad and they but dug I mean, themselves like, quite the hole here 20 mcdavis back though 11 but how much yeah, can they make up three games yeah but how much how much you know him being back he's been back his entire career What's that mean? I'm saying he wasn't scoring earlier this year. It's been oh no, a minute since oh. we've seen some 11 points in three games type stuff from McDavid. Yeah, and he'll do it. It's... He'll do it 12 more times this season. Yeah, it's, it's but... whatever. And then he'll watch the, the second round beyond from his couch like he always does. And it's not wow. his fault. It's not Heat. his fault. It's Edmonton's fault. <laughs> yeah, it's going to just... be some fun trade potential. That's why I say in, in hockey, this lesson needs to be learned by players more than anybody else is to get that cash. You can, will not be rewarded for loyalty to a team because that team will not be loyal to you and they will dump you as fast as they can without remorse. If you are a hockey player, you are a free agent, go get your money because this league does not care about your safety, your retirement, and your long-term health. So get us all that, all the money you can, jump around, make people mad, and just you know stack that you know, stack the stock that cash because you, you know, they need to do it. And there you go. <laughs> I like it. Brian coming out real, real here at the end. Yeah. <laughs> fire. Hey, two guys, the thing right here, Forsberg and Saros. There you go. They're back. They're back. We end it there. Saros and Forsberg are indeed back. The Preds over 500, all good in uh, Preds land right now. And we'll see next week if that continues on uh, with the Preds with the, a big week of more. Remember this guy? Remember him? That's what this week is. This is the Memberberry week of mm -hmm. uh, Preds hockey. Yeah, I remember. Um, Brian Baston, what can the good folks check out from you and the team on, on thefortrek.com this week? So uh, beginning of the month, which is later this week, um, I'm going to be kicking off a new monthly feature with a very, very special guest who's going to be joining me for kind of a Q&A session every month. Uh, so you guys are going to people will be I think should be pretty excited about that one because I'm very excited to get their their insight on that. Um, I'm also working on um, a piece about UC Soros, which is why I had all those stats kind of so handy conveniently. And then Jeff has begged me to pull together all the good stats I can find so he can celebrate Patrick Kane going to Detroit. So <laughs> I, I, I think that's going to take a long time. Uh, but 
and you're lucky we ran out of time because I want I wanted to I wanted to gloat a little bit. Well, there you go. What about you, Jeff Middleton? All, I don't even know where to start. Like we're uh, all over the. I, you're just you're doing a lot. I, I don't know what yeah. to do. Yeah, um, just more flame stuff. Uh, you know, trades and and stuff. Nikita Zadorov's name's out there, so we'll be looking at that if and when something happens. Um, Jonathan Huberdo looks better now. Thank God. Still not great, but better. Um, Martin Pospisil uh, is the man. Yep. Uh, Tin advisor, big kid, loves to score. Connor Zary loves to score. Uh, the young guys are are making making appearances in in the flame on the flames right now, and it's it's awesome. Hoping Dustin Wolf and Matt Coronado can get back up in the roster sometime. But um, no, you keep yes. your like the best goaltender in your organization. You keep him know. where he belongs. For Dan Vladar. Dan Vladar, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, no, so just stuff on that um, as the week goes on. Um, probably the biggest news I have this week, uh, other than like in terms of pieces I'm writing, um, I'll have a piece on uh, net guards in the NCHC and in, and specifically Miami hockey um, coming out both online and in the print newspaper here at Miami. So I'm excited about Look that. That's you, buddy. I know, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a fun piece to write. Um, and then just yeah, college hockey stuff uh, in general for the hockey news. So it's gonna be a good week. But I have a lot of exams, so that's that's why it's gonna be bad. Good writing week, bad school week. All right. Well, you know where your priorities are, Jeff. Make sure those uh, yeah. exams go well. I get those grades up. Yeah. Even God, though already, that means it's been a year. Up, so it's that means it's been exactly a year since I've uh, graduated grad school. Feels like. That doesn't feel that long ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely just a year since grad school. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Bassett, Jeff Middleton, always a pleasure. And I'll talk to you all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.